and Hound podcast. Hello and welcome to the Horse and Hound podcast. I'm Pippa Room, magazine editor here at Horse and Hound. While I hope everyone has recovered from the Christmas and New Year festivities, it seems like a long time ago now and that you're all surviving the cold and now rather stormy weather that we've got this January. I'm delighted to kick off our podcasting year with an interview with the Irish event rider Sam Watson. He talks about his data analytics company Equi Ratings, as well as his own eventing career, including Team Silver at the 2018 World Championships. The emotional moment was was coming back into Dublin Airport and Dad was there and he had brought his medals and to have the generational thing there, the fact that Dad had gone to America and won a silver medal 40 years previously and that gap for Ireland, that was great to share with everyone. So with no further ado, pull on your boots and let's get started. My guest today is the Irish Olympian Sam Watson. Sam has ridden at 11 senior championships, winning a world team silver medal, and is also the co-founder of equestrian data analytics company Equiratings. Hello, Sam. Welcome to the Horse and Hound podcast. Hello, Pippa, and thank you very much for the introduction. It's lovely to hear things like that being read back to you. (laughs) Definitely, hopefully a nice little ego boost. And there are so many things that I want to talk to you about today. And I want to start with what's coming up for you and plans for this season for 2024. Where are you going to be starting your season? What's on your radar sort of for the spring looking at big early targets? Well, I am currently uh, trying to plan a trip to the Netherlands, to to Cronenberg. That would be an early four-star long for um, an up-and-coming 10-year-old horse, Baliniti Rocketman. Um, so getting a, getting a competition in early in this Olympic year, which I'm sure a lot of, a lot of people will be thinking. Um, and then that just lets us gauge and see where he's at in regard to that picture. Um, but I think the main thing he would compete again, obviously at a, at a few competitions after that, it's just, it's just to get a long format under the belt. Um, the main target is really the big B, which is badminton, um, with talisman who, who had a spin around Burley. And there's just a few tweaks of improvement there. I think in every phases, um, every phases, there we go. I can't still can't speak properly, even though I do a podcast for a living. Uh, Pip, I still can't speak properly. Um, so you know, he, he's he's funny. It's funny these Irish horses. He's such an old-fashioned horse. It's like rewinding the clock twenty years, you know. And normally, or or in the modern day, we're looking at horses that are getting a bit tired on the cross country. He's still pulling my arms out, and I'm trying to get a bit more control and make that a bit a bit quieter and more controlled. Um, and then trying to get him calmer for the dressage and then still even on the last day in the show jumping trying to get some rideability in there so gains to be had in all three phases with him but I think it is a trip back to badminton that's on the radar yeah and he was 13th at Burley last year he was just one second over the time when there were only two inside it so definitely really exciting to to look at going to badminton and hopefully building on that performance with him yeah exactly Uh, you know I I took a view. I have six horses to event this year, and they're all they all have one full thoroughbred parent, um, which is quite rare these days. Um, a, lot, a lot of the the amount of thoroughbred in, in horses is dropping a lot in eventing. And my view was, um, obviously, you very kindly mentioned in the intro that I've I've been to plenty of championships, and that championship format now it's firstly so competitive in the first phase, and the type of horse you need. You know, it's such a it's such a skill sport. Um, 
slightly shorter courses. We're seeing, I think Paris is down to nine minutes, 15. And I just, and the, the cross country is now down to a four star at every championship. So not just Europeans, but worlds and Olympics now, which means that when you walk, I walk Tokyo, I walk Bretoni, and of course they have challenges, but they didn't set me alight like Burley, walking Burley set me alight. And I just thought, you know, I can practice all the skills of, of cross country at home. Um, but when I go to a, a big test, you know, a, a, a big competition, it's got to be stuff that you just can't do at home. Certain, and you wouldn't because it's, you know, 11 for, you wouldn't do it for 11 minutes straight. That's the other side of it. The stamina, the concentration to hold that, uh, for that duration and, and bringing that part of it into it. So I guess I'm a, what, you know, the cricketers would call like an old school test match player or whatever, but I just, I love the challenge of a, of a nice long five-star course with plenty of questions throughout. So that's what I'm looking forward to. And that, those are the type of horses that I've, I've, pinpointed or, or or selected to be in the um, in the stable right now yeah definitely and looking ahead at that Paris Olympics it's such an exciting year for all of us would you say that those are sort of the two horses in your stable that you're considering SAP Talisman and Baliniti Rocketman are sort of you two, the two that are on your radar for selection yeah well you know being an amateur now with my Ecoritans hat on um, I don't they are they'd, they'd be the only ones at the moment yeah they, they re, they're the only the only two that would be qualified and, and at that level the rest are a lot younger so um yep it'll be down to them um Rocketman is a very good show jumper so if we can sort his if we can if we can bring the first phase score down a little bit which again being sort of younger and slower maturing and all that there's there's plenty of improvement there um and then again he's he's a very quick horse as well so he'd have the cross-country capabilities he's certainly got the show jumping capabilities if i can get that first phase score competitive enough um he'd actually be a very a very suitable horse talisman needs to to prove to everyone that um he can go and relax in an, in an atmosphere which a little you, you got to be careful sort of i mean of course he's not he's not the most he's closer to a racehorse than he is a kind of modern event horse but the, those two years of covid when you miss those outings the things like le leon dangers and and you know blenamate and nine those kind of things that you'd normally do and it just exposed the horses a little bit more earlier in in their formative years he just missed that a little bit and then it was all a bit of a sort of surprise when he suddenly went to Aachen and the European Championships. There were his first two, his first two events outside of Ireland, uh, where things are quite quiet over here um, compared to Europe, and his first two trips abroad were to Aachen and to a European. So it was a bit of a, a kind of um, a baptism of fire, and I think he's, I think he's slowly starting to sort of settle into the whole thing. Yeah, it's really interesting how those horses that grow up with COVID, it's sort of now when they're coming into those bigger atmospheres that, you know, it feels like COVID is, is quite a long way in the past now in some ways, but we are definitely still feeling the effects of it with, with some of these top horses. And you rode at your first Olympics in Tokyo in 2021, the, the delayed COVID Olympics on Talabeg Flamenco. Let's just recap on that a little bit. Tell us about that experience. Did you enjoy it? Did it fuel your fire to go to more Olympics? Was it very different to other championships? How was your Olympic experience? experience in Tokyo yeah it was definitely different wasn't it because it was so um uh, look I guess it was normal because it was the second year of COVID by that time but you know it was just full of admin in terms of um you know health checks and all that kind of stuff uh, and restrictions but I guess that sort of felt normal um being almost 18 months into the pandemic 
um, what I think a lot of people wouldn't believe me when I say it, like, I don't think my sister and even Dearm, who's my business partner, they both know me very well and like follow my career very well. And they were both so relieved when I went up the center line and they were like, oh, he's made it to the Olympics because that was my, must've been maybe my ninth championship and I, and it, but it was my first Olympic. So I kind of, and I had bottle, I bottled London. Like I made a mistake in my, in my last event before London that looking back on it to me was, I didn't know what mindset to be in. Like I was so excited and focused about potentially going to London that I forgot to jump the fence, you know, ride well in the fences that I need to do in the selection event, in the selection trial. And so I made, I made a mistake and, and sort of just basically row quite badly. And that's not the message you need to give your selectors on the last, on the last run. Um, so I, I lost my place and, but to me, I would think I was old enough. And back then, of course, I would have definitely said to you around London time, oh, I have to be in a, I have to make it to an Olympics. You know, like that's what it's all about. Whereas by the time Tokyo came along, I was comfortable enough in my own skin that there's no, there's no result or there's no, in inverted commas, achievement that's going to validate me as a person or define who I am as a person. Um, you know, as long as my wife still loves me and my family still love and respect me and same with my kids and stuff like that. And and again, and, and the people around me can kind of go, he's a sound enough fella that I can, you know, I can make, maybe make a difference and stuff like that. And I know that sounds quite cliched and stuff like that, but that was true. So actually Tokyo was just all about producing horses through to top level. And that's, that's what I enjoy, enjoy doing now. So I, I would view myself more as a trainer than an athlete. And that's the journey I, I enjoy. Um, I also, I think that the unique part of an Olympics is you're part of all these other sporting athletes as well. So basically just as someone who works in performance and who has a, a, a kind of intriguing inquiring mind about performance, the Olympics was, it's kind of the pinnacle of performance um, in the world because all the other athletes are there and stuff like that. So I definitely enjoyed it from that point of view. It was a privilege to be part of it from that point of view, as again, as someone who works in performance, I think, but just as anyone else who, who works in any kind of space would say, you know, they, they, they'd like to work in those spaces. It's more just because it's an interesting, you know, you, you want to be there as part of your job. You don't feel you need to be there to validate who you are as a person. And that's the difference as a younger athlete. I, I felt like I had to be an Olympian to, to prove my worth. By the time I was old enough to go to, to, to Tokyo, I was, um, I was just happy to, to be there and go through that process as a performer. Yeah, it was interesting. Yeah, definitely. And as, as you said, it was a strange Olympics for all of us. Um, even though we were sort of used to COVID by then, it was it was still definitely an interesting one. Um, and I think we should talk a little bit about the 2018 World Championships. Three years before that, you were part of the Irish silver medal winning team on Horsewear Arda Highlight. A really big week for, for you, for Irish eventing, first Irish medal in a long time. How special was that, that achievement in that week? That was cool. Um, the the emotional moment, because you, you got to show a, a bit of emotion at times, haven't you? It was was coming back into Dublin Airport and dad was there and 
he'd brought his medals and and he would be a more emotional person than I would probably, you know, with, with regards to sport, his highs would be higher and his lows would be lower uh, as an athlete than, than mine probably would. So I, I could see from him how much it meant as well, but he was there with the, with mom and, and the two kids. And obviously everywhere we go, it's myself and Sparks. Um, so for us to get back to the boys, but then I guess to have the, the generational thing there, the fact that dad had gone to America and won a silver medal 40 years previously and that gap for Ireland, I think if you, if I was to talk about the performance to you, I would be getting back into sort of more objective, cold, analytical Sam, and it was it was great fun to 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 execute the performance. But I think you, I think sport is also about the stories, isn't it? And and so it was. I knew I was part of a very cool story that week, and um, and that was great to share with everyone. And the fact that the family were involved in that story, you know, the fact that dad was involved in that story as well, uh, was was great. Yeah, as you say, your father, John Watson, a, a silver medalist in his own right at a world championships and, and your wife, Sparkles, so supportive of, of your career and super groom in her, very much in her own right as well. Um, let us leave your riding career now and talk a little bit about your other career with Ecco Ratings. Tell us about how the idea for that company came about. I know it was a long time in the making before it sort of went public and how it was sort of set up and came about, first of all. Well, being a, again, sort of inquiring mind and liking numbers, you know, liking to have an Excel spreadsheet open for, for some reason or another. Uh, when I was oh, just leaving college as a as a 20 year old and, and finding, I mean, 2008, I was actually, I think I was a second reserve for Hong Kong. Uh, my first senior championship was 2009. Echo Ratings wasn't founded until 2015 officially. So in that five, six year period, as I was competing at top level, I would track what all the top athletes were doing, the William Fox Pitts, the Andrew Nicholson's, and I'd have all their results in a spreadsheet as well as my own and about 50 other riders as well. And even just keeping that spreadsheet up to date and populating it, it helped me to like, obviously I had to get all the competitions that they were at. So I was becoming a student of the sport, so to speak, th through just that process, but then analyzing their, their, their results and their averages, their, their trends and that sort of stuff. And mainly just to see where I was at and see where they were at. And obviously there was a bit of a distance. I was looking up at them both on paper and then everyone's looking up to William in reality as well, aren't they? Um, <laughs> so that's how it's, that's how it started was a sort of a selfish intrigue. How far off was I? And then helping me to think about how I was going to close the gap and then validate that, that I was actually starting to close the gap a little bit. And then it was Dearm my business partner and he said best friend living, living with him in college. Um, but this was a good while later. He had, he had, when we left university, I went and rode horses, he became a lawyer. And, but when he was looking at the spreadsheet, um, around 2014 time, and he was actually going out with my good eventing friend, Camilla Spears. So he was trying to follow the sport and he'd been to badminton as a, as a spectator and wanted to know, okay, what's this sport all about and who are all these people? He looked at it and said like, well, this, now I can actually understand. Now I can see why William Fox Pitt, now why they all harp on about William Fox Pitt being so good. I can, I can see he's got, you know, best average dressage score, most wins, most top fives. And he was like, 
you know, where, where can the public access this? And I said, well, they can't this. So he, that he was like, there's a business here, you know, sports need this type of information. Yes. For decision makers, but also for the public and, and for content, for driving content. So he was the one who kind of had the vision to actually make this a company. Yeah. Give us an idea of the scale of the company now, you know, you and Dernburn, um, set up the company or the co-founders how many people do you employ now how big is it so we'd have nine employees uh which is quite a lot you know because we, we've got sort of managing all the the data side so we we work over 50 percent of our work in fact i say over 60 percent of our or certainly of the 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 business activity is working with governing bodies and and federations so we work with the fei british eventing um but the the biggest one now would be the u.s equestrian federation which isn't just the u.s eventing association usea um but the uscf the governing body of all the equestrian sports and that's because we we've been in show jumping um publicly for for a couple of years now producing form guides and, and things like this, this, this preview content and, and analytics on riders, helping people who are at the show to, to access information on the, on the riders that are there. And, um, and then we have this, we have a content side of the company as well. So it's nearly a form of media and journalism, but it's, but it, that's not our, our, our big vision. You know, we're, we're trying to find, okay, what's interesting about this? You know, what can you see from the entries and the data? Who's been head to head in this field before? Who could become the top rated horse coming out of this show? You're trying to find the angles, but then you're just trying to pre present information to people. Um, we want to empower people to talk about the sport. Uh, we, we, and that, that's what we're focusing on. You know, we want to get people more interested in the language, which is the, um, the analysis and the numbers, uh, the, the actual performance output of these athletes behind the scenes. That's what we're trying to do. So yeah, federations first, I would say is, is still a main, a main part of it. So we've got to work with all of their data. So that's quite a lot of, of, of a backend team and, um, coders. And then, then there's, then there's the output side, um, turning that information or turning that data into information and insights. Yeah, it's really interesting. And you, as you just mentioned, you know, you're working in show jumping now, as well as eventing, pushing into to different areas of equestrianism. Um, can you give us any idea of any new exciting things you're working on at the moment? What are we going to see from, from Equi Ratings this year that we should be looking out for? Do you know, we with it happens every four years is that people start looking for Olympic horses and that window is just closed now. Whoever's competing a horse at the Paris Olympics, that horse now needs to be in their name, um, registered with, with them, uh, in the FEI database at this stage, there's a, there's a transfer deadline, basically, if we were talking in soccer terms, but so actually in 2023, we were working, people approached us and said, look, we're, we're trying to find a Paris horse. Can you help us based on what sort of performance indicators should they be should they be hitting we all know the sport has been evolving so winning at winning in olympics is different to trying to win badminton or burley lordship scraffalo can probably do both but not many horses can um and and people basically wanting to most efficiently find horses and that process resulted in us bringing in a full-time person to then contact riders and 
get information for, you know, price being the main one. Um, and so that our, so that people can make this informed decision based on, right. Okay. Here's, here's performance attributes. Here's the price. And then how much do I want to juggle? How much am I willing to, some people put a very high performance. They're going, I just want the best horse price. Isn't the main issue. It's, it's a consideration, but it's not the main issue. Um, other people would be a bit more price sensitive and they'd be trying to get as much performance as they can or potential performance, um, for that price. So we've ended up, we've been doing a lot in that, not publicly advertising or anything like that. Just the client list just started growing. Um, so now I think we will make a bit more of that, how to, but it's quite a, you know, if someone's looking for a nice four or five year olds, don't come to equity ratings. If someone is looking for a horse with proven performance, you might want to be winning a junior championship. You might want to be win winning a, or on a path to say Blenheim eight and nine year olds or something like that. If you've got quite a performance driven target in mind and you want to buy a horse that's already on that road, um, we'd be doing a lot of that. And I think that will translate quite nicely into show jumping as well, because again, there's just a lot of a higher volume of trade of horses with proven performance. And, and that's what people are trying to buy. They're trying to buy for a, a shorter term performance goal. So we help people with that. Yeah, that's really interesting. And how in your life, Sam, do you juggle everything? You know, you are, you say, an amateur rider but at, a, at a very professional mm. level. And you are also the co-founder of this big company now that does a lot of things. Um, and you're a father of two. How, uh, what does your, what does your life and your week and your days look like? How do you keep everything on the road? Well, it now has to be quite structured. So for someone who is a bit of a, a thing, you know, if you're filling in those personality types, I was the guy with the messy desk. I still am. Um, so I'm not, not, but having said that, I, I like, I like quite a lot of structure when it comes to training the horses. Cause I, I think that works, but now I have to have it. So I have, you know, sparks on the, on the horse side really is superwoman, And it, and it's great to do that as a, as a team, as a, as a husband and wife as well. Um, because we're really in that together and that's great, but her organization and her efficiency and, um, it's, it's incredible. And I think her tolerance to put up with the fact that I sort of make this cameo appearance from 7.30 AM to 11.30 AM and, you know, need to ride five horses as, you know, real quality, uh, and planning. So I just not spending much time off the horse basically, which means horses are tacked up and horses are washed off and I'm a very spoiled person. And I think then also it, it just wouldn't work without sparks because then I'm absent from the yard. And I think that would be hard for anybody else to, to, you know, you wouldn't feel as part of the team because I have to, you know, go into the office and put my head into something else. So being quite, you know, when I'm on a horse, I'm, I'm very, and I treat, I do, I don't take the amateur mindset at all. Then, you know, it is, it is about being the best I can be and, and, um, you know, real purpose to that. And I kind of challenge myself to maybe, maybe being the, the, the best rider in the world. It's not something that appeals to me anyway as a title, cause I don't think anything would change after it, but I do keep challenging myself to to better myself. I love progress and I love riding horse and I love training horses and I love riding horses. So it's a great, you know, people ask me, did you go on holiday last year? And I was like, yeah, I went to Burley, you know, it's, <laughs> I love it. I it's, it's great. And so does Sparks and, and the family get to come along. So that's the morning. And before half seven, there's the window with breakfast with the kids as well. So that's good. Then I'm in the office. Um, and then, you know, we've got kids in the evening. There's a, there's a bit of coaching goes on in the evening as well. Cause I've always enjoyed that side too. So I do, do a bit of coaching, but 
the daytime then is is decorating. So you just have to break it up. But a, a change is as good as a a break. And I'm lucky again to have such a good team at Ecuador Ratings that if I fell off a horse and hit my head or something, um, and everything, and that was a challenge because for a, so there was a difficult period when I knew that I, that things wouldn't work in Ecuador Ratings. And this this is early days, you know, 2015 through to about 2017 things wouldn't work if I was, if I, if my spreadsheets and stuff like that weren't working and I was writing anyone who knows things called macros, it's kind of code in Excel, but it's, they're great and you can do stuff, but they can break as well. You get blue circles whirling at you and that was stressful. So like the first few years were definitely the most stressful times. And I'd be writing a lot of code at nighttime when there weren't distractions. Cause the two boys were very young. They were born in 2013 and 2014 started the company 2015 so it was to, and then obviously we were you know still competing at championships and stuff like that so that was a that was a stressful period but now with much better structure and brilliant team of people um it's actually really enjoyable and i would classify myself as being very very fortunate um to be to be able to do it all yeah and my impression you can correct me if i'm wrong here sam um in the way that you and Derm, your co-founder, work together is very much that sort of Derm is the person who runs the team and keeps the company running as such. And yeah. you have a huge amount of creative input and data input and obviously understanding of the sport. I mean, Derm understands the sport very well now as well, but in a different way. But you are a top level athlete and the two of you make a really good duo in, in, in the company in that way. Yeah, 100 percent. And Derm is really in tune. He he really notices like, is that person okay? Whether it's a client or it's a member of the team, like his eye and his, I think his passion actually, to be honest, is, is people and, and is, is that side of it working? Whereas I'm a bit more of a kind of cold around and I'd be like, well, this is how you, this is how you analytically solve the problem. And then I could easily think that, you know, and, and not read the person and be like, well, are, are they okay? A, have they understood and got the value out of this? Um, B, do I just need to have a coffee and talk and be a human for, for a minute and not just be a, you know, a data geek? Um, I'd say I, I'm better with data and horses than I can be sometimes as just, a, a you know, kind of being in tune with, with, with people. So Derm is great at the, from that side of it. And, uh, yeah, so he, he, he keeps the team going and it's actually, it's great to have the two sides, I guess the, the analytical side, but also then the people side is good. Yeah, for sure. Um, and Sam, I can't let you go without asking this. Um, who do you think is going to win the individual gold medal in Paris? I mean, you know, I, I've got the mm. eventing stats geek at my fingertips. I have to ask that question. Yeah, great. Well, look, I have to say on 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 ratings, our data really only starts gathering. Um, well, it officially starts in 2008. And I talk about this inflation on um with regards to our ratings and things like that so we don't have all of Libiosetic Sam's career even though we've got all his five-star career we don't have his early days but Lordship's Graffalo of Roz Cantor's is beating Sam on ratings now doesn't have his CV uh, and I would still question as to whether we had the full if, if we if we can go back and maybe we'll have to just for this reason um go back to to earlier so that we can give Sam's ratings more time to to catch up um, but this is the most exciting horse, Roz and Lordship's Grappler, the most exciting horse that we've seen coming through in the sport, I would say, certainly for a decade, to have 
two massive badminton results, in, including a landslide win under under their belt, the championship win as well. And I know the wet weather, and I know they missed the podium. Well, they were actually tied for bronze, really, but they they were they were demoted to fourth place uh, in in Pretoni. I think even that the, the first phase has improved. So, you know, I, I think when you look at where they started from, Chipmunk is maybe still a threat, but he's lost more championships than he, he's lost nearly every championship he's been to. I think he's led the first phase and um, and then let it slip somehow. I wouldn't rule him out, but I think it's I think it's Roz and Graffalo. And I think this could be one of the most exciting horses that will, you know, the, the horse of a generation for sure. So I can't wait to see them. Yeah, definitely. And uh Sam just touching there on the world championships um, in Pretoni, where, as you say, he was kind of tied for the bronze medal, but uh, lost it actually by virtue of being faster across country because Tim Price and Falco were closer to the optimum time by virtue of being slower, which is a strange quirk of the way the scoring works in our sport. But um, he's, yeah. he's had his had his redemption since with a badminton win, a Europeans win. And um, yeah, let's see what happens in Paris. He's got a he's got a long way to go. Like Olivia said, Sam won two Olympics and in, individually, which is incredible. Um, he won badminton, he won Burley, but you know, Graffalo has a, has a Europeans and badminton. I just, and it's a lot to, I don't think we should it'd be so hard to equal that CV of Le Biosetic Sam. So I wouldn't put that weight, but if, if Lordship's Graffalo at, at this, you know, he's still a young horse. It's just the relentless consistency. It's how clinical they are as a duo. Um, it's astonishing. So I think if people aren't not just enjoying him, but really sort of studying his, you know, what what, it, what he's done today. If he can keep up this consistency over the next few years, um, it will be it will be great. It'll be one of those things that when you're uh, talking to grandchildren or you know whatever grand nieces and nephews or whatever it's going to be, um, or just just looking back on uh, on your time in the sport, you'll be thinking of the times when you saw that horse I, th- I think he could be one of those maybe still a little bit early to to put him in that but all of the numbers would suggest that that's the trajectory that horse is on yeah working up to be one of the greats well thank you so much for joining us today sam and telling us a bit about what the year is going to hold for you personally professionally in all of all of your careers and best of luck we're looking forward to seeing you at badminton absolute pleasure thank you pippa thank you to sam for joining us today We'll be back next month on the Horse and Ham podcast when Horse and Ham racing editor Jennifer Donald will be talking to national hunt trainer Kim Bailey about the highs and lows of training racehorses, the enigmatic first flow and his other stable stars, the upcoming Cheltenham Festival. Plus, we'll take a look back at some of his greatest horses, including grand national hero Mr Frisk. We'll look forward to that interview. Meanwhile, if you're enjoying the Horse and Ham podcast, please do rate, review and share it in your podcast app to help us spread the word. Talk to you soon. The Horse and Ham podcast is a Media Cage production.